Hello, and welcome to Advertising Will Save Us, the podcast that looks at how the ad industry can move the world forward culturally, socially, environmentally, creatively, and all the ease. I'm Myra Nussbaum, President and Chief Creative Officer of Havas Chicago. Hi, and I'm Dan Lucy, Chief Creative Officer of Havas New York, and welcome back to Episode 3. We hope you enjoy it, and always we hope you learn something. Every week we'll be speaking to a different, inspiring business leader, creative, ad tech watchdog, activist, etc., to show how through its power to reach millions of people, our industry can, however ironically, save us. As we always do, we're going to start by acknowledging our fault as an industry. As we all know, advertising hasn't always had the best reputation for making the world a better place. So we asked people on social media what they find really problematic about our industry. Uh, This week, we picked a response from an anonymous creative director who says, over the decades, there have been many brilliant ads produced for a wide range of causes, but I don't believe that we can credit any of the campaigns with any significant success. Anti-smoking, anti-drugs, anti-bias, gun reform, drunk driving, texting while driving, anti-litter, anti-pollution, cure cancer, cure ALS, stop domestic violence, save the whales, save the polar bears, save the children, save energy. If you see something, say something. Pro-Ukraine, pro-life, pro-choice, Black Lives Matter. What has advertising accomplished for any of these things? Wow. Ouch. Um, let's, Let's talk about this. I understand Uh, the frustration. I understand that there are issues that we're still dealing with as a society. And even though we've been talking about them, especially through advertising, it it, it hasn't solved. But I will say that I want to maybe challenge some of these claims. If you think about drunk driving, yeah, right? The numbers have gone down since the 80s, right? Since Mothers Against Drunk Driving, since the commercials. I think think advertising, it can't stop you from getting in a car and drinking, but it can change – people's opinions, right? It could change peers' opinions about something is not cool, or it could, you know, get awareness out, or it could influence leaders to to put bigger laws on. It could maybe somebody doesn't think it's a big deal and they actually do think it's a big deal now. And so so I do think it has that effect. I mean, people stop smoking. Yeah. Right. I know fads change. I know people maybe started vaping a little bit more, but like I think that it society turned on like um on that and a lot of that has to do with advertising because what our messages are doing is it's getting out into the world and it's changing public opinion call it an ad call it a message call it whatever but um i don't know if i totally am aligned with that statement well i would love to sit down with this anonymous creative director and have a couple beers and a really healthy debate on whether or not it's really affected any of these causes my retort is simply Imagine if we hadn't done any advertising for yeah. these things, like that's how, it, that's it. how littered the world would be, how many more drunk drivers would be out there. So, yeah, I don't think it's, you know, cured any of these ills of society, but I definitely think it's had an impact. You know, look, we're all let's let's talk about this, right? We, we are this creative director could be coming from an angle that um, the world isn't perfect and our industry is obsessed with with kind of making work for these causes because it's emotional and it's yeah. charged and every and there's a lot of uh, people are gra- gravitate towards it, right? Um, and it ends up winning awards. Yeah. And it ends up being, right, there's that other angle, right? It ends up being the work that the industry celebrates, right? And a lot of us who are working every day on, on, on clients and don't get to talk about, you know, 
these big topics like curing cancer or Black Lives Matter or um, anti-smoking, if you don't have those opportunities, your work isn't quite as compelling if you're telling someone to check into their 401k or whatever. And they're frustrated, right? A lot of it, people are jaded. Totally. I just really hope this creative director listens to this podcast because our guests today are the creators of The Lost Class, arguably one of the most powerful anti-gun violence campaigns ever created. So I hope they tune in and I hope their opinion changes after listening to Sam and Ashley today. Agree. But we love hearing from you. If you have a problem with our industry, the advertising industry, please tweet us at Havas, hashtag advertising will save us, or email us at podcastfeedback at Havas.com. We love to hear your gripes. This week, we're joined by not one, but two guests. Sam Shepard is EVP and Executive Creative Director at Leo Burnett in Chicago, and Ashley Geishaker is EVP and Head of Production, also at Leo. Sam and Ashley have both worked with some of the world's most renowned brands, and between them, they've been nominated for or have won just about every industry award there is. But today, they're here to talk about something a little different. Last year, Sam and Ashley were part of the team behind The Lost Class. It's a campaign released to raise awareness of the 3,000 44 members of the high school class of 2021 who were killed by guns. The film dubbed the most daring gun safety campaign ever was produced by Leo Burnett in support of Change the Ref's campaign to introduce universal background checks for gun sales. Among other awards, it was nominated for an Emmy last year. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. It's great to be in a room, even if it's a virtual room, with two of the best creative minds in the business. For people outside of our industry, a lot of what we do might seem really commercial, literally, and like we're just adding to the world's problems. But we're here to talk about a really special campaign today that you both worked on last year. Ashley and Sam, you can decide who goes first. Can you tell us a little bit about the lost class and how the idea came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um so yeah, it's it's amazing that we launched the Lost Class uh, one year ago in in June, and it's been a wild ride since then. But I think uh, you know the Lost Class started even a full like eight months before that we had been developing in it, and it started with uh, a conversation with the founder of Change the Ref, which is a guy named Manuel Oliver, and he started Change the Ref with his wife Patricia Oliver, and they started it after they lost their son in the the Parkland shooting in 2018. And uh, for anyone that's ever talked to Manuel or, or heard him and his wife speak, uh, he's an incredible person. And and his mantra in Change the Ref is really all about creative confrontation, right? Any way possible using creative activism for good to just constantly propel this subject into the, ma- the mainstream as much as possible. And according to them, it just can't be talked about enough. It's that urgent. Um, and so they, they've done some really uh, provocative things over the years. And so Ashley and I just feel honored, you know, uh, one year ago that we got to add to Change the Ref's chapter. And we felt like we took a shot at it. And we're also excited to, to continue that relationship. A- Ashley, maybe you could, for the 1% of listeners out there who have not seen this activation, maybe you could just describe what it is, just in case. Absolutely. So the Lost Class is an idea that we produced where we created a fake school, James Madison Academy, and we invited 
David Keene, former president of the NRA, and John Lott, author of More Guns, Less Crime. And we invited them to be the keynote speakers of the school, James Madison Academy. And we recorded them speaking to 3,044 empty chairs, each chair representing someone who should have been graduating that year but couldn't because they were victims of gun violence. Hmm. Yeah. It was, if you are that 1% and haven't seen it, just Google Lost Class and watch it because it's going to be impossible to bring it to life with just our words. The The impact of it visually was so stunning and really, you know, I think it's still going strong today. I'm sure you, you got a lot of attention right out of the gate when it was, you know, put out. I, I hate to use the word viral anymore, but it did have a lot of legs. Do you still see it getting traction? Is it still being talked about? I'll say, unfortunately, it feels like it does still get traction because every time there's another mass shooting, the piece gets brought up again. It gets shown either in government spaces or in fundraising spaces to kind of, again, just bring forward the the people who are responsible for some of these actions and as well as on on a good end, it does also reinvigorate the donations and the pledges for gun safety. And I saw the other day Manuel and Patricia posting. I mean, they're very active, as you said, like they seem to have a never ending drive to continue talking about this subject, ending gun violence, specifically around schools. I saw them posting on LinkedIn, like literally a comment that Andrew Swinnand, the CEO of Leo Burnett, had posted about it. And Manuel's like, what's next? Let's go. I want to do another one. So how have you have you continued to be in touch with Change the Ref and are you working on other projects with them or how are you continuing to support the cause? Yeah. And again, I think the best the best way to describe Manuel and Patricia, they're relentless. And so, yes, like we're continuing that relationship. We we feel like we have an obligation to to whatever we do next in that partnership to to take it to another level. Like we we felt like Lost Class was pushing things a bit. And so we kind of owe it to their son Joaquin to, to push it again. So yes, that's that's in the works, but I think I think we just we also want to make sure that we're constantly being like really smart about how we're we're tackling the subject because there's so many different ways you could you could approach kind of the the solution. Um, so I think like just being very diligent on making sure we're we're adding to the fight in the right way and we're not we're not doing anything that we feel like is a step back or or distasteful things like that. I, I want to talk about them because they're. They're such a fascinating couple and what they're doing is, is so amazing. And I, I want to get into that, but, for, but I have to stop everyone right here. I, I want to, I want to hear about the production. Maybe Ashley, you could talk about this a little bit. I mean, you guys created a fake high school. <laughs> You've got two major NRA and gun lobby figureheads to speak. Uh, how did you, how the hell did you pull this off? How did it, how did you guys tr- trick them? Yeah, we, uh, we partnered with Hungry Man. Brian Buckley was our director and from the beginning, when Sam and I were trying to figure out exactly what this idea was, it, we were vacillating between a film, between an act and what have you. And once we partnered with Brian and Hungry Man, it all sort of kind of came together and we decided we're going to do this. We're going to go 110 percent. 
And we brought in people from Sasha Baron Cohen's team who had worked with him previously. And they helped us kind of infiltrate these people and do all of that outreach. And every single piece of the production and the creative that Sam and the team did was so purposeful to appeal to these gentlemen to come speak. So we, every, the insignia for the school, the name James Madison Academy, every little detail, every piece of copywriting on the school's website was done purposefully to be enticing for these gentlemen to come talk. And really just working with Sasha's team as well as his lawyer was very helpful. How did they not Google the high school? It was there. You had a website. It was there. We had yep. a website. We had social accounts. We Smart. I also did do Google crawler ads. So when we knew who our marks were, we took out ads in their area. So when they did Google it, it had a bit more presence. That being said, if you had done any sort of research beyond just a basic Google search. Who does that and they, anymore? Right, <laughs> right exactly. But they missed the background check. Wow. Yeah. I was impressed. Even you had swag you created for the high school. So it was legit. And I would expect nothing less from you two being the type of creative people that you are. Um, But kind of, I guess, probing a little bit deeper into messing with the NRA, I'm sure you have family members that were a little concerned. We all bring our work home with us and talk about our projects we're excited about. Was there any point in time where you were like, maybe we shouldn't do this? And how did you overcome that? Yeah, every every step of the way. No, there wasn't there wasn't one day that we didn't think that. But I think the biggest strength that we had was like the best team, like such a core team that like I could lean on Ashley and I leaned on her a lot. Like I think a lot of times I was freaking out, and thank God I had her. And and equally having Brian Buckley. And and the Hungry Man team. So like once we just started adding on kind of cast members who who believe in this cause enough, it was it was kind of no turning back. But at the same time, we had family members saying, Hey, like, this is this is really scaring us, right? You're you're kinda you might be pushing it too far. You're heading into to kind of different territory here. And I think it, it also helped us uh to to look at just past examples. We we used the truth campaign the way they fought big tobacco for a while. And that I'm sure at the time that was probably scary for them, right? If you remember like the famous body bags type example, they were, they were really going at big tobacco. So, so it also helped us to know that other examples setting that precedence. Um, and then the, the final layer that was kind of the, the true North for us was, was Manuel and Patricia. I mean, we had, we had clients, we had partners the entire time that were willing to take it to the very end, right? You you cannot scare those two. So to have to have your clients, you're usually like very risk averse to having them push you every step of the way. I mean, it, it was an incredible experience. Did you ever hear from David Keene? You know, I know he's the former president and current board member of the NRA. Did he ever like reach back out and say, hey guys, uh, like not cool or? I will say that all of the school's emails went immediately defunct. Uh, once it went live. That being said, I believe press did reach out to him. His wife answered the phone. There was no comment. And that's really been the only correspondence or reaction that we've gotten from David. So did the 
feel free. Again, you don't have to answer these questions if, if you don't feel comfortable, but did the NRA come at you at all? No. That's great. No, they they they, they didn't. Yeah, and, and whatever we expected out of this, I think that was one of the more surprising results was, was kind of a, a truly like bipartisan coverage of this, and it was very neutral. It was just like, and even Fox News, all these different kind of far right publications were reporting on this very matter of factly. Like this is this is what happened. So I don't know if that was out of embarrassment of what these guys did or or even just the the CTA at the end. We wanted to keep that as inarguable as possible. It was really just, you know, supporting uh, universal background checks, which if you even look at the NRA, they don't oppose that. Right. But we're we really focus on the NRA because their money is the cause that that none of these common sense gun laws ever get passed, just the kind of the the stymied that they create. So yeah, no one really argued it. Was there ever a point in this process where you guys were like, this is not gonna work? They're on to us or someone's backing out, or we ordered we ordered three thousand plus chairs and we don't know if they're gonna show up. Or what 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 was the um talk to us about the moments you're really sweating it? I was sweating it uh, sitting in Las Vegas in the parking lot in a 1970s motorhome with Manuel and Patricia, and the Marks had to get out of their car, sign the release, and then get on stage. So we were, I think we were all really terrified until we had that signature on the piece of paper. And with both of them, the way the team just orchestrated it and played it. It was, oh, quick, 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 sign, sign, sign. And once they signed it, I finally felt, holy shit, I think we might actually pull this off. Wow. Not to mention, wasn't it like 120 degrees or something? I think I read that. Yes. So it <laughs> doesn't help. Physically sweating it. So, so sorry, and, and apologies if I missed this somewhere in the coverage, but the chairs, what was your excuse? Was it just a COVID thing or you just sort of, what, what was he rehearsing? What was the line that he was speaking to the empty chairs? They were speaking to the empty chairs. Yeah. So like eight months earlier, th that was the one image that the creative teams had on, on a Google Doc presentation and just seeing graduation chairs, which represent the future and potential, but arranged like they're a cemetery. Like, oh man, what a, what just a powerful image. But I think our ambition was not just to create an emotional image about, you know, gun violence. We knew we had to take it further. So I think arranging the chairs like a cemetery, spacing them literally six feet by six feet, COVID offered us a unique ability to do that without people questioning it. And, and at the same time, the rehearsal part of this time was really the unlock for us. I think up until the idea of, oh, it's a rehearsal, that's how you get them to speak in front of the chairs. Up until that moment, we kept going, well, how do you how do you convince two guys like that to do this? They would never in their right mind exactly. do that. And that's when that's when Brian Buckley was just like, oh, it's a rehearsal. And we're like, oh shit. Okay. Now if it's a rehearsal, then the task becomes, well, how do you invite them there? You have to create a school that they would want to come talk to. How do you how do you create a school overnight? Well, we got to get our design team designing a whole identity from scratch. You have to, so everything kind of fell out of, out of that rehearsal uh, unlock. You know, you guys cleaned up on the award show circuit. Clearly it was probably one of the most impactful pieces done last year, but I know that wasn't the goal. Who else has reached out to you? You know, I know you've, you've gotten lots of congratulations within the industry, but have you had any un friends, family, uh, people from the media kind of reach out and say, it's incredible what you guys pulled off. 
Oh, man, I mean, the the response to this has been overwhelming in so many different ways, right? You have like kind of the the awards part that, that Ashley and I never expected any of that. And that was just never our intention from the beginning. Our our intention was just to to kind of add our own chapter to this fight. So if you if you look at it in terms of just consistent application of pressure on this issue, like it almost doesn't matter what you do as long as you're doing something and keep that keep that cadence up. We certainly wanted to add like our own ambitious take on it, like looking at what's come before this. How do we how do we make sure we're doing something that that raises that bar? So I think like I think the recognition of that of the risk that we all took, I think is was what we feel good about is like, okay, in in our opinion, the bar has kind of been set. We're looking for for those to raise it again and and take a, a different risk or a new risk. I know personally, like a lot of my family uh, is from Oklahoma or, or different places and and they don't think the same way that I do. And so to hear their responses, uh, kind of recognizing the the good that we were trying to do. I think that like there's so many rewarding responses that Ashley and I got, but like I know personally, like never hearing anything bad about it. It was just like, hey, like we we appreciate that you're doing your part to to try to to change the world. Yeah. I'll say personally for me, um, I have a mutual friend with Congressman Eric Swalwell. And so we were put in touch and he was excited by it. And I think he was excited by it because he had another piece to use on his committees for gun safety. And for these politicians, when they're going up against this fight, to have more things to point to and to use when he's in those rooms and having those discussions was great. So it's, you know, it was good to just kind of get that media in the right hands to try and do whatever we could. Because we're, sh- we, you know, we need the audience to be more than just ourselves. And when you have the work that is breakthrough and it kind of transcends just the advertising community and the creative community, we're mostly like-minded. So it's great when it could kind of reach those other other people. It is. And I I wish... I mean, sometimes I wish we didn't have day jobs or we could clone ourselves and devote ourselves to more of this work because I know we were all talking about this. We need more work like this, but we are all doing it in our spare time, right? I want to acknowledge that you guys still had your day job to contend with. You still had clients asking for ads on, you know, CPG products. So how did you, I am just curious, like, how did you make the extra space for this and time for this? in your life? Oh, man, I, I I can't give enough credit to Leo Burnett. I mean, like even Andrew Swinnon, who's like the, the CEO of, of Publicis Creative North America, like the people at the very, the very top made it possible for us to to attack this way we did. So like without them leading the way and just just recognizing that, like in addition to us doing our jobs, really effectively for all these great brands and making them famous. Like this is also kind of a necessary part to also do our jobs and use our creative ability for good. So I think so thankful for Andrew and and the system that protected Ashley and I and protected our team and, and, and just said yes to this, right? Like it was so easy so many times along the way to just say, Hey, now we're not up for this risk, but, but they were. And Again, just so grateful. Yeah, you can't do anything without support from the top. It's it's so it's so important. And um and and I agree with you. You were mentioning that 
we have the power to make our brands famous and we have the power to kind of change behaviors in the sake of commerce, but we also have that power and probably our responsibility to kind of, you know, work on these social issues. You know, I'm super impressed with Manuel and Patricia. They seem, I know they had incredible loss with their son, but they seem so savvy, so marketing savvy. Do they have background? Like I don't, maybe I don't know enough about them. Do they have a background in the communication field, or they, I heard Manuel might be an artist, but uh, you know, I, I've heard him speak and he's just really compelling. Uh, you know, I, I just know Manuel in terms of like the, the art background and in, in terms of activism, right? So he's like very passionate and intense, even like one of their latest projects was a fundraiser using uh, the artist Shepard Ferry. So like he's, he's very much into like visual impact. So I think like if you look at all of their projects, it, it certainly has that willing to push the boundaries from like a design perspective and just that the the gut punch of a visual. But I also think that, again, if you've heard him talk, I mean, he he has no fear. He has zero fear. And he's he's one of the more compelling individuals I've ever met. So I think like I'll never forget the meeting when Ashley and I and team presented Lost Class to him and got through got through the presentation. Yes, it was a great idea, but he stopped us. Literally just stopped us and said, hey, I want to let you all know right now your abilities, your creative abilities that you were given. Yes, it's great that you're using them on banks and all these other brands. He's like, but I just want to let you know right now you were given those specifically for this idea right now to make it happen. And you owe that to Joaquin. So like when when someone stops you dead in your tracks in the middle of a presentation and says something like that, I mean, you have you kind of have no choice but to say, okay, like, we have to make this happen. So grateful for so many things, but uh, just getting a chance to work with him has been life-changing. And I think the the best part is that I, I feel like it, uh, from Ashley and I and, and Leo Burnett's perspective, the best thing we can do is open up that connection to all other agencies, right? If you if you view this fight as kind of a requirement for, for every agency, like what are you doing then then opening up that relationship to everyone. Like it's not just ours, it's any anyone who wants to join and and he is so willing to see ideas and, and make them happen. Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, that's why we wanted to have you two on to talk about this because we do feel it's almost every agency's responsibility to take on, if not change the ref, something like it. It can be a Sandy Hook campaign or even something around like locally, we're working with a new organization that's anti-violence here in Chicago, the CSCC. But it really is a little bit, I don't know, I feel like for all the, the, the messages we put out in the world that are good and solid and for clients and consumerism and to push capitalism forward, we kind of owe it to people to also bring out these important messages that don't have the funding to do it on their own or to hire an agency full time. Like we, we must make room for these types of projects. But I must say, I'm now terrified to take this brief on because I think you guys <laughs> set such a high bar that now I'm just, I don't know if we're going to be able to do something that matches it. That's yeah. worthy. So uh, thank you for that. So, so, so I might have to pick another cause. Myra. It is quite intimidating. It's one of the few ideas in recent days that I looked at and was like, holy shit, this is great. I can't poke any holes in it. You know, it's our job to critique things, uh, make things better. And there was really nothing other than like the AstroTurf running out. I kind of want to know about that. <laughs> yeah, good question. 
Def- budget cuts, right? We can only do <laughs> half. Budget cuts. The- yeah. Don't worry. You fix it in post. Exactly. Uh, so many chairs, Myra, for so, so many, many students. We ran out of the the astro. I was wondering about the chairs, and obviously, you know, it's a grave reminder in how many students we lost last year. And it, it, it but. Um, so this is kind of a tacky question. Was it hard to get that many white chairs? Like I was, I was, I was looking at the film it's again Vegas. and before I, I jumped on and I, Ashley, I felt for you because it's, it's so many. I, uh, I had many a conversations with Caleb, the wonderful, uh, hungry man, work. executive producer that I worked with. He just sourced them and sourcing them all in Vegas. I think we were Lucky that we did it in Vegas because mm-hmm. they have so many conventions. Um, there were different iterations of what the chair was going to be that I think when we landed on this, we knew that was kind of the perfect thing. It was Sam's vision of the Arlington, and we were luckily able to find that many yeah. of them. Okay. I think I just asked the dumbest question on the podcast so far, Myra. Can I you, love it. Can you I that? have another dumb <laughs> you one. Have du- I, you have a dumber one? Well, I feel like I knew this at one point, and – I'm I'm having a hard time remembering, and I don't think the listeners would know why Vegas. Yeah, that was that was pretty strategic, actually. We were like when we had kind of the uh, the rehearsal unlock with Brian. Then it was like, well, where should this fictitious school host its first ever in person graduation ceremony? And if this if this fake school, James Madison, kind of stood for Second Amendment rights and that kind of thing, the obvious choice was a little more of like a neutral city like Vegas, where either way, you don't really know what to think about it. And, and guess what? After the, the ceremony, you can go gamble. So we felt like that was a perfect way to lure lure these NRA guys in is like, hey, come come give a speech. Uh, and then we'll, we'll, you know, you can you can still enjoy all of Las Vegas. Yeah. OK, so it was really that simple. Yeah, because it's interesting. Like you have obviously a lot of cities to choose from in America, but that one does make sense. And also probably pretty easy for hungry man to get over there um, as well. Why don't you ask about the trip? Maybe just so I don't have the dumbest question, like the logistics, did they fly from LA to Vegas <laughs> or did they bus it? Maybe that's like, maybe that's another question I can ask. I was How did curious. they get there? How did Hungry Man arrive on set is is my other question I'm you dying know to know. That's, that's a stump. I don't know, Dan. Yeah. Okay. There it I is. I don't know how they made it there. How All big right. how big was the crew though? I am curious. Like how production agency, how many did you try to keep it small just to small. be nimble? And it was a yeah. really small crew. And when the speakers were on set, it was a closed set. Um, so everyone had to clear. But really, Sam, I think it was the only people who knew what was going on were Hungry Man. Leo Burnett, Manuel and Patricia, and then our keys, like our DP, um, first AD. And then that's really kind of where it ended. None of the crew knew what this was. They really all thought we were doing a rehearsal. Did David ask you guys to go to the tables afterwards? Was he like, let's go play some blackjack? <laughs> he did not. We were we were all, we were with Manuel and Patricia like in the the secret RV watching from from the the prompter so we didn't get to like interact with them but i mean the the set the set was wild because we didn't know who knew what we were doing and who didn't so you kind of just had to err on the side of not saying anything and just pretending like it is a big 
graduation rehearsal. So that was, that was crazy. And and even Brian like showed up to set. Like I didn't know if he was in disguise or if that's what he what he normally wore. He had like a American flag bandana and. So I might have made the mistake of like insulting him, but he was in like full, full he was ready to rock. I love you know? that. And, and, well, yeah. when, who broke the news to them that they would not be coming back to speak to the actual class of kids the next the, day? It was Ashley. No, yeah, it was me. <laughs> Just kidding. We have what we need. Hey guys. Uh, this, was a, uh, this was a stunt. On, this yeah. was a stunt. Um, no, it was gotcha. Fun, gotcha. gotcha. Hey, funny story. We it was the the people that had been communicating with them, the representatives of the school, and they did let them know that it was a security risk, so they needed to cancel. And David Keene's wife felt so bad because she thought it was David's presence that caused it that she offered to give the school a donation. Oh wow, that breaks my heart a little. I know. Uh, hopefully, when she found out that it was what really happened, she still offered to make a donation to change the ref. Don't think that happened, but <laughs> what a, a gal can dream. Yes. Particularly what I'm fascinated with lately is is on the NRA. I think, like, I, I love how, uh, again, the Truth Campaign, just they picked a, an enemy. Like, like, in their mind... The awareness of, of big tobacco even existing was kind of where they picked their fight and they they just repeated it, right? And so like keeping the pressure on in any way possible, kind of uh, instigating or revealing just any way to keep that pressure on one common enemy. Like we we kind of see that as as being the NRA for, for gun violence, right? And I, I feel like all the efforts in the past have been all over the place. And, and maybe effective in their own way. Some were, was general awareness about just look how bad gun violence is versus uh, like we had a very uh, kind of specific take on the reason nothing changes is because the NRA's money. Without their money going to politicians, there's no incentive to block common gun laws, right? So like we just feel like the more we can keep, keep the emphasis on the NRA and, and that's where when you start to dig it's unbelievable. Even the fact that the NRA, the NRA started as a gun safety organization. So at its core, it's about safe gun ownership. Somewhere along the way, they became radicalized. Um, you know, but just the, yeah, again, the the more we can keep the pressure on kind of that singular enemy instead of just, hey, look, look at how bad it got, bad guns are. I feel like we, we as a country, this being a uniquely absurd American problem, I feel like we know that. You get it, but I think people are looking for okay. But what can we do, and and what is the root cause of this? Yeah, I yeah, it's pretty crazy. I've I've done some digging since lost class on the NRA website, and even the fact that they call themselves America's first civil liberties civil liberties union kind of surprised me. It's like okay, I see how I see your messaging, and I see how you've kind of radicalized is a great term, this group, because they've like kind of claimed this banner of the American flag. And to attack that is anti-American. But I think where we need to stand up for ourselves as Americans is that it's also our civil liberty to feel safe in our country. And that's all we're asking for. We're not asking for 
total bans, at least not right now. <laughs> just as the Truth Campaign wasn't asking for a total ban, it was just asking for recognition that smoking might be unsafe, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm in total agreement, and Dan and I will help fight the fight with you. Ashley, Sam, it's been fascinating to talk to you guys today. Really appreciate you spending time to take us through this incredible idea. It's really clear that Manuel and Patricia are big believers in the power of advertising and its ability to save us. Sounds like you guys are too. We always ask our guests, do you believe advertising will save us? What what do you guys say? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, that was an overwhelmingly positive response from Sam and Ashley. They do believe advertising will save us. I tend to agree with them. Um, And you know what? I'm so glad because I think that campaigns like the Lost Class are the perfect example of the way our industry can harness its power for good. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, um, I'm, I, I agree with you. I'm a big fan of, of them. I'm a big fan of the Lost Class. I'm a big fan of the Change the Ref uh, as an organization. And, and I do think that organization believes advertising will save us and then we have to do something about it. Yeah, so so look, I is it going to solve, is it going to change someone's mind who, who is really pro-guns just by watching this film? Maybe, maybe not. But I do think it's a conversation we have to keep having. I think it's something that has to stay top of mind. I think it's something that we can't forget about and just agree to disagree as a society. We have to come to some sort of solution because uh, 3,044 kids who died in 2021 um, from guns is, is a crazy number and we can't be okay with that as a society. Yeah, and it's using creativity to address that problem, I think, has the ability to maybe open more minds. I personally think we need like 10 more lost classes a year or, you know, ideas around big, creative, mind-blowing ideas like that. They just, there need to be more of them. Yeah, I, I agree. We have to keep this top of mind like we were talking about. So so I, I'm with you and we need more of these Okay, so we have one more segment for everyone before we wrap it up. We call it The Kids Are All Right. And this is where each week we bring on someone who's brand new to the industry and hear how they plan to change it for the better. This week, we're playing you out with Wei Ting, Junior Art Director from the Chicago office. My name is Wei Ting. So I'm a international student. I'm from Taiwan. And for me, I want to include more diverse voices and perspectives into the advertising world so that people can know more like diverse voice. And I think that's my goal. And that's what I want to see in future advertising. Thank you for listening. Advertising Will Save Us is an Intelligence Squared production in partnership with Havas U.S. The producers are Isabella Soames, Yosula Alarenshola, and technical assistance from Mark Roberts. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, tell that friend to tell that friend, and so on. Um, And please, all of you, subscribe and leave us a glowing review, or at least email us and tell us uh, what you'd rather hear. 